And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 5. We'll be in verses 1, I mean 21 to 43. So Mark chapter 5, verses 21 to 43. And so as you look around this world today, how would you describe it in one word? What word would you use? You see, how things are now is not how God created it. You see, in Genesis 1, after God created everything, it says that he saw that it was really good. In Genesis 1, chapters 1 and 2, there was no sin, no disease, and no death. But it's not that way now. Because of our first parents' disobedience, sin has entered into the world and everything has been ruined. See, now we are born alienated from God. We live in these bodies of flesh that decay. We will suffer, whether from disease or something else. And we all will die. Men, women, and children alike. The young as well as the old. These and more are the effects of the fall. You see, children are struck with disease. Here in Memphis, St. Jude Hospital treats over 7,500 patients. And not only children, but adults are all of a sudden diagnosed with illness of all kinds. Sometimes these are the summation of sinful choices. Other times, it's not. However, every time, it is due to the consequences of being sinners in a fallen world. The question for us is, will things remain this way? Who can deal with the problem of sin and its deadly effects? Well, in our passage this morning, we'll see that Jesus Christ is our only hope in this world. And so Mark chapter 5, verses 21 to 43, please stand for the reading of God's word. When Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the sea. One of the, one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, my little daughter is dying. Come and lay your hands on her so that she can get well and live. So Jesus went with him, and a large crowd was following and pressing against him. Now a woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years had endured much under many doctors. She had spent everything she had and was not helped at all. On the contrary, she became worse. Having heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his clothes. For she said, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be made well. Instantly, her flow of blood ceased, and she sensed in her body that she was healed of her affliction. At once, Jesus realized in himself that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? His disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing against you, and yet you say, who touched me? But he was looking around to see who had done this. The woman, with fear and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed from your affliction. 
While he was still speaking, people came from the synagogue leader's house and said, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? When Jesus overheard what was said, he told the synagogue leader, don't be afraid, only believe. He did not let anyone accompany him except Peter, James, and John, James's brother. They came to the leader's house, and he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, but he put them all outside. He took the child's father, mother, and those who were with him and entered the place where the child was. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kaum, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl got up and began to walk. She was 12 years old. At this, they were utterly astounded. Then he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this and told them to give her something to eat. You may be seated. And so our big idea this morning for this passage is this, that Jesus' authority over disease and death should lead us to come to him in faith. I'll say it again. Jesus' authority over disease and death should lead us to come to him in faith. And we will see two scenes in our passage dealing with two people who came to Jesus. So our first point, the first scene that we will see is that they came to Jesus in need And the second scene is Jesus meets their need. First scene, they came to Jesus in need. Second scene, Jesus meets their needs. And so they came to Jesus in need. Look at chapter 5, verse 21. It says, when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the sea. And so after being rejected by the community where Jesus healed this demon-possessed man, he and his disciples, they traveled again by the Sea of Galilee. And as they arrived to shore, Jesus is met by a large crowd. Look at verses 22 and 23 where it says, One of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, My little daughter is dying. You see, in this large crowd, There's one who is in need, Jairus. He was a leader of the synagogue, meaning that he presided over their gatherings. He oversaw the scripture readings, the prayers, and the teachings. You see, he was like some sort of service planner. And Jairus, he was a man of prestige. He was well known. And though being a man of prestige, he is desperate and in great need. You see, he came to Jesus and fell at his feet and pleaded persistently and implored Jesus with all seriousness to tend to his daughter. Did you see it? He said, my little girl is dying. His baby girl is on the brink of death. She is suffering and is about to die. Suffering from what? We don't know. How is she suffering? Those details aren't as important as the fact that she is suffering. You see, we live in a world where these things happen, where children are suffering and on the brink of death because 
The world has been ruined by sin. You see, this is an urgent situation. Jairus is panicking. He is distressed, and so he goes to Jesus. And as bad as the situation is, Jairus is not hopeless. You see what he said? He said, come and lay your hands on her so that she can get well and live. You see, Jairus has faith that Jesus is his daughter's only hope. He is confident that Jesus can heal his daughter. He believes that Jesus has the power to restore his daughter's health, to rid her from suffering, where she goes from being on the brink of death to living and being in good health. Now, the question is, how does Jairus know this? Well, being a synagogue leader, it could be that he's either seen or heard Jesus cast out the demon in the synagogue, as we saw in Mark chapter 1. He's either seen or heard Jesus heal the leper, as we saw in Mark chapter, the end of Mark 1. He's either seen or heard how Jesus healed the man with a withered hand in the synagogue, as we saw in Mark chapter 3. Either way, Jairus is convinced that Jesus is his only hope for his daughter being healed. Look at verse 24. So Jesus went with him, and a large crowd was following and pressing against him. You see, Jesus complied with Jairus' request. Why? It is because Jesus is the compassionate Savior. You see, he's not indifferent or apathetic to suffering. For those who come to Jesus in faith, he doesn't respond to their suffering with coldness, but he responds with compassion and care. And this is how Jesus always responds to the sufferings of his people. You see, when suffering, the question for us is, what is your perception of Jesus' response? Do you believe that he is distant, apathetic, dragging his feet, or do you believe that he responds with compassion? For Jesus cares and he will draw near to his people. Y'all, Jesus cares about his people. And we can draw near to him in faith, knowing that he will respond with gentleness, compassion, and comfort. And as we look how Jesus responds, the question, another question for us is, how do we respond when people suffer? Do we respond like Jesus, with compassion, with care, or are we careless? Are we apathetic? Or are we willing to be like the Lord Jesus and serve in love? Beloved, may we be eager to love and serve those in need and follow after our Lord and Savior's example. But we also see that as Jesus goes, the large crowd follows and begins pressing against him. You see, like people at a concert pressing against one another in order to get as close to the artist as they possibly can, this crowd, they, they are pressing against Jesus and touching him. Look at verses 25 and 26. It says, Now a woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years had endured much under many doctors. She had spent everything she had and was not helped at all. On the contrary, she became worse. You see, Jairus was the only person in the crowd who was in need, who came to Jesus. There's a woman in the crowd who is seeking Jesus for healing. 
You see, Mark provides context for her disheartening and desperate situation. She has suffered from blood hemorrhage. The cause of it, we don't believe, is because she has sinned, but these are the ramifications of being fallen people in a fallen world. How long has she suffered? It says 12 years. 12 long years. And according to Leviticus chapter 15, verses 19 to 28, she has been ceremonially unclean for all 12 years. You see, she is lonely. She's unable to go to the synagogue or the temple. People probably wouldn't even come near her. They wouldn't come near to her house because if they touch her, they go into her house and touch her bed, they themselves will be unclean. Not only is she an outcast, but she is also living in poverty. Did you see it? It says that she had spent everything she had. You see, she did everything that she could to change her situation. She sought professional help from many doctors and suffered from their treatments. Her persistent pursuit of being cured has cleaned her bank account. She spent every penny and every attempt approved, it proved unsuccessful. And Mark, he emphasizes this as you see, it says that she was not helped at all. You see, she didn't progress. Her condition never took a step in the right direction. In fact, things only got worse for her. No doctor could help her. She's desperate. Can you imagine? 12 years of suffering, no progress, and no one can fix her condition. And look what happens in verse 27. It says, having heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his clothing. For she said, if I just touch his clothes, I will be made well. Well, just when she may have lost all hope, news about Jesus' mighty acts have reached her ears. You see, she is desperate, but she believes that Jesus to be her only hope. She believes that he can heal her. You see, faith in Jesus' ability to heal her leads her to go to Jesus. This unclean woman is in the crowd, and she has one mission. Touch Jesus' clothes. You see, she didn't believe that Jesus had to touch her. But rather, she believed that he could heal her simply by her touching his clothes. She didn't say that if I touch his clothes that I might be made well or I could possibly be made well. But rather, she said that I will be made well. You see, this woman was 100% confident that Jesus would heal her simply by touching his clothes. Now, why would she think such a thing? You see, back then... There was a common belief that a person of power could bless you simply by touching their clothes. You see, the thought was that in a powerful person, power is transmitted to their clothing. You see, for this woman, there was a mixture of faith and superstition. And so she goes and she touches his clothes. But y'all, did you see? This woman is in need. She came to Jesus in faith. As you see in this section that both her and Jairus both needed Jesus. They were in desperate situations and they believed that only Jesus could fix it. Notice, you have a prominent man and a poor woman. 
both in desperate situations. And both of their only hope is Jesus. You see, they are suffering. And suffering is a part of living in a fallen world. And the thing about suffering is that it knows no status. Status won't exempt anyone from disease or death. It won't keep death from knocking on one's door. The only hope is not finances, but it's a person. Jesus Christ, the servant king. And like these two, we who are suffering, we too can go to Jesus in faith and trust him in our suffering. As these two were convinced, we too should be even more convinced that he has the authority and the power that he can heal us. And know that one day he will heal us and restore us in full. And that's exactly what we will see in the next scene where Jesus meets their needs. Look at verse 29. It says, instantly her flow of blood ceased and she sensed in her body that she was healed of her affliction. You see, when she touched Jesus' clothes in that very moment, everything changed for her. She was healed. She went from suffering for years to being completely healed the very second she touched Jesus' clothes. Did you see that Jesus healed her? An incredibly desperate and hopeless situation was reversed by the Lord Jesus. Jesus did for her what no doctor could ever do. And did you see how? It was by her simply touching his clothes. Look at verses 30 and 31, where it says, At once Jesus realized in himself that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? His disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing against you, and yet you say, Who touched me? You see, Jesus immediately noticed that the healing power of God had gone out from him and that someone has been healed. Now, where it says that power had gone out for him, it is not as if Jesus became less powerful. You know, it's not like how in the movie Space Jam, where the nerd lux came and stole these five NBA players' talents. That is not what happened in this passage. But rather, Jesus is recognizing that the power of God to heal someone has gone out from him. He knows that someone has been made well. And what he's doing now is that he is searching for this person because he wants this mighty act to turn into a meeting. He wants to personally meet the person who has been healed. You see, Jesus, he's not like a famous celebrity who donates money to charity but never visits and meets the people that they serve. No, you see, Jesus, he wants to know the people that he has healed. And so he asked, who has touched my clothes? And the disciples, they respond like, man, everybody is pressing against you. What do you mean? You see, the disciples, they were completely oblivious to what happened. They don't know that someone has been healed. And so they're like, Jesus, everybody is touching you, man. You tripping with this question. Why are you asking this? This doesn't make any sense. But look how Jesus responded. Verse 32. This is, but he was looking around to see who had done this. You see, he ignored the disciples' response. You see, Jesus wasn't having that. He persisted in his search because he wanted to really know who actually touched him and was healed. And as he looked, 
Look at verse 33, where it says, The woman, with fear and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. You see, the woman, she saw Jesus search. She knew that she was healed. And so she came forward with fear and trembling. She had reverence and awe, especially in light of the fact that she was healed and she came clean. You see, like an eyewitness on the witness stand in court, this woman told the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. She told her entire story, her previous condition and how she suffered from it. She told Jesus how the doctors couldn't heal her. She told Jesus how she heard about him and how she believed that he could heal her by touching his clothes. She spilled the beans. And notice how Jesus responded. Verse 34. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed from your affliction. You see, Jesus didn't respond to her with contempt, but with compassion. He didn't scold her, but with tenderness and affection, he said, daughter. He addressed this woman as if she was his own child, as if she was his little girl. He spoke to her as if she is now a part of the family of God. But then he goes on and he says that your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed from your affliction. You see, Jesus makes known that it wasn't merely her touching him was what healed her. He dispels her superstitious thoughts and clarifies that she was healed because of her faith in Jesus. You see, her touching Jesus' clothes was done in faith, and Jesus makes known is that that what was what healed you. You see, he pronounces that she is completely healed from her affliction. What she has already felt and experienced, Jesus publicly declares she is healed. But not only is she healed, he says, go in peace. This peace that he pronounces as if she has experienced salvation and the peace that comes from it. You see, I believe that this woman has gotten saved. You see, I, I believe that she's gotten more than physical healing, but that she's been saved by the grace of God through faith. And how amazing did you see that Jesus has completely healed this woman. This woman brought her need to Jesus and he healed her. And we should follow the example. You see, like the woman, we too should bring our needs to Jesus. Some of us may relate because you've suffered from disease for years. Some of us will likely suffer from disease in the future. But the question for us is, what are we to do in our suffering? How are we to respond? Well, we should pray in faith and ask God to heal us and truly believe that he can heal us. Now, as we pray and trust him, we must remember that God doesn't promise healing in this life. He doesn't promise physical, physical healing. Now, some prosperity preachers may encourage you to say similar words that this woman has said. 
That if I pray and have enough faith, then Jesus will make me well. Well, beloved, that's not true at all. You see, the reality is Jesus can heal. And he may heal, but he doesn't promise it. And just because Jesus doesn't heal doesn't mean that you didn't have faith. It's all according to his sovereignty and according to his own purposes. And even though Jesus may or may not heal, there are some things that we certainly know for sure. We can know that Jesus will respond with compassion and comfort and care to our suffering. We can know that his grace is sufficient for us. We can know that he loves us because he laid down his life for us, because he came to save us from our sins. We should remember that Jesus has met our greatest need by dying on the cross for our sins and resurrecting from the grave. And if we have trusted him with our greatest need, which is salvation and forgiveness, then we can trust him in these lesser needs of suffering. You see, whether or not Jesus heals us from suffering, may we continuously come to him in faith. May we trust him in our suffering, knowing that through faith in Jesus, he has saved us from the penalty of our sin. And he is now saving us from the power of sin. And that one day he will save us from the presence of sin and its effects on our body. Look at verses 35 and 36. It says, while he was still speaking, people came from the synagogue, from the synagogue leader's house and said, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? When Jesus overheard what was said, he told the synagogue leader, don't be afraid, only believe. You see, as Jesus conversed with this woman, who is now having the best day of her life, Jairus received terrible news. His greatest fear has become a reality. His little girl has died. As Jesus was in mid-conversation, he too heard the news. And look how he responded. He said, don't be afraid. Only believe. You see, both verbs in these two, in this command, it's in the imperative tense. Meaning Jesus commanded Jairus to do not fear. Meaning, do not begin fearing because of this news. He has also commanded Jairus not only to not fear, but only believe. Where he is saying, do not stop believing, but keep on believing. He can't, See, Jairus came to Jesus because he believed that Jesus could heal his daughter. And what Jesus commands Jairus here, he commands him to keep on believing that Jesus can heal his daughter. You see, even though his daughter is dead, Jesus commands him to keep on believing that he can heal her. And beloved, this command, do not be afraid, but only believe, it is also for us when we hear bad news. You see, if we were to hear a negative report from a health examination, or we be diagnosed with cancer, or have a loved one be on the brink of death, as scary as these things may be, we too must not fear, but only believe. You see, we can cast our cares upon the Lord because he cares for us. Psalm chapter 112, verse 7 says this, that he will not fear bad news. His heart is confident, trusting in the Lord. 
only believing. And as I studied this passage, it is very convicting for me because when I hear, when I heard that, man, I'm a pre-diabetic, I began to fear. More often than not, when I'm feeling some type of ache in my body or some sort of illness, I'm fearing more than believing. And so this command has been comforting for me and convicting at the same time. You see, the thing is, in the midst of the bad news, God is faithful. You see, we can trust him regardless of the outcome. He is our only true hope. Look what happened in verse 37. It says that he did not, allow, he did not let anyone accompany him except Peter, James, and John, James's brother. And so they go on, and Jesus only permitted three of his disciples to accompany him. This could be for the purpose of validating what they will see, this mighty act that he will perform. You see, according to Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15, a charge is established upon the testimony of two or three witnesses. Well, these three disciples, they are about to witness a mighty act and they will attest to it. How do we know? It's written in the scriptures. The three who saw it were the ones who attested to it. Look at verses 38 and 39, where it says, They came to the leader's house, and he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing. He went in and said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but asleep. And so they arrive, and according to their cultural practices, there were professional mourners already there, weeping and wailing. They were present and mourning over the girl's death. They were preparing for this little girl's funeral. And so as Jesus saw this, he responded with a question. Why are you making a commotion and weeping? And then he gives a declaration. He says, the child is not dead, but asleep. So why would Jesus say this? Is the child really not dead? Is the child only in a coma? Or is she dead? You see, the child has died. But you see, in Scripture, being dead is also referred to as being asleep. You see, in the New Testament passages, New Testament passages that refer to death as being asleep oftentimes also talk about the resurrection. John chapter 11, verses 11 to 15, where Lazarus has died, Jesus himself tells his disciples that Lazarus has fallen asleep and that he will go and awake him. His disciples ask, well, is he, if he's asleep, then why can't he just wake up? And then Jesus makes known that Lazarus has died. And then he goes and he raises Lazarus from the dead. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 17, talks about how those who are dead in Christ are referred to as they have fallen asleep. But then it says that they will rise. Our scripture reading, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 17 to 20, it says that those who have fallen asleep in Christ, they will be raised, just as Christ has been raised. And so in this passage, Jesus likens her death to being asleep because he is about to raise her from the dead. You see, just as being asleep is an image of death, well, waking up 
is an image of the resurrection. And you see in verse 40, look how they responded. It says, they laughed at him, but he put them all outside. And so they responded with laughter, scoffing at Jesus. And he puts them all outside except for the parents and his inner crew. Then they go to where the little girl was laid. The parents saw their little girl's body, unlike that they've ever seen before, lifeless. But then look what happens. It says that then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kaum, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl got up and began to walk. She was 12 years old. At this, they were utterly astounded. Then he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this and told them to give her something to eat. You see, Jesus grabbed this little girl by the hand and spoke to her in Aramaic, and he commanded her to rise. In that very moment, this little girl came back to life. She was raised. Her dead body came back to life. Her spirit came back into her body, and she began to breathe again. Her eyes were opened. She no longer laid down, but then she stood up and began to walk. Jesus has revived this little girl. He has raised her from the dead. And he tells them to give her some food so that they can know that she has been raised from the dead, that she is now alive. You see, Jesus has demonstrated his authority over death. She died, but Jesus raised her by speaking. You see, only God has authority to over death. Even in our scriptural call to worship, it says that God is the one who redeems our life from the pit. And here we see in this passage that Jesus demonstrates his sovereign authority to raise this girl from the dead. What does it mean? What it means that Jesus is God. You see, Jesus did for the, what Jesus did for this little girl, it prefigures what he himself will do. You see, Jesus went and died on the cross for our sins, but he didn't remain dead. Three days later, he resurrected from the grave and he defeated Satan, sin and death. You see, the little girl, she died because death spread to all because all have sinned. But Jesus died. Jesus did not die because he sinned, because he is the one who is without sin. Rather, he died to atone for our sins. You see, the sting of death is sin. But Jesus resurrected from the grave because he had no sin. You see, death couldn't hold on to Jesus any more than Velcro could hold on to a slippery ball. You see, Jesus raised this little girl from the dead. And what Jesus did for this little girl physically also points to what God did for us spiritually. As we read last week, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, makes known that we were spiritually dead in our trespasses and sins. But verse 4 says that, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. You see, God has brought about spiritual resurrection in those who have repented and trusted in Jesus Christ. Where we are no longer spiritually dead, but we have been saved. And not only that, but we don't have to fear death. 
You see, when we die, Paul would make known that death is gain. We get to go and be with the Lord. And one day, we too will be raised and have glorified bodies. We will be freed from sin and all of its effects. You see, y'all, Jesus raised this little girl from the dead. You see, raising a dead person is only done by the power of God. And it doesn't happen often. Only a handful of times in Scripture. You see, the church, we don't have authority to raise anyone from the dead. So when someone dies, we shouldn't pray for God to resurrect them in this life. We know that it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. But rather, we should grieve, but with hope that the person died in Christ, if the person died in Christ. But we should also await the day when Christ returns and the dead in Christ will rise with glorified bodies. If you're not a Christian, I'm glad you are here this morning. You see, this is Jesus Christ. He is God in the flesh who has authority over disease and death. He died for sins and resurrected from the grave, and he saves all who trust in him. And one day, he will restore all things. You see, just as people in this passage, they were in need and brought their need to Jesus. If you don't know the Lord Jesus, you too have need. And it's greater than having good health. Your greatest problem isn't suffering or disease. These are merely the effects of sin and living in a fallen world. But rather, your greatest problem is your sin that you have rebelled against a holy and righteous God. You see, Romans chapter 3 makes known that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and the just penalty for, for sin is God's holy and just and eternal condemnation. See, the thing is, you need to be saved, not from disease, but from God's judgment. And the only way that you can flee the wrath to come is by trusting in Jesus Christ, who is a compassionate Savior who seeks to save all who repent and believe in him. If you want to know more, you can talk to our members after service. And beloved, as we, will see, as we see in this passage, Jesus is the king. He is the servant king who brings the kingdom of God near. You see, he restores what sin has ruined. Death and disease are the effects of the fall. And the curing of the disease and raising the dead, these are foretastes of the coming kingdom. You see, when Jesus Christ returns, he will consummate his kingdom and he will eradicate sin's sickness and all of its symptoms like death and disease. Therefore, beloved, when suffering, we may not know how things will end for us in this life, but we do know how everything will end. You see, Revelation chapter 21 makes known that when Jesus Christ returns, that God will make all things new. Death, disease, and sin will be no more. We will be with God in his benevolent presence for all of eternity. And so therefore, Beloved, may we trust in Jesus. In the midst of our suffering, may we come to him in hope 
and long for the day when he returns and make all things new. Let's pray. My Father in heaven, we thank you that in your love you sent your Son to redeem us, to save us from our sin and reconcile us to yourself. So we begin to we get to experience the, the first fruits of redemption. And one day our salvation will be complete when he returns. We'll be freed from sin's presence, from the effects of it. We'll be in your benevolent presence, worshiping you and the lamb who was slain. Oh God, we praise you for your care and your love that you didn't leave us in our own destitute situations, but that you sent Christ to save and redeem us. Oh Lord, we long for the day for him to return, that he will make all things new, that suffering and mourning and crying will be no more. Oh God, we pray that he will come soon. Come, Lord Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, just as we saw in the passage how Jesus Christ is the only, was the only hope for Jairus and this woman who was suffering, we see that Jesus Christ is our only hope, that he has saved us by his grace. And just as he is resurrected from the grave, we who are in Christ, we have a living hope, which is why we're going to sing the song, the living hope. And in the scriptures, in this song, the very lyrics would say that death has lost its grip on us because of what Jesus Christ has done. So in response to the sermon. In response to the preached word, let us sing of Christ's victory as we sing living hope. Please stand for the singing of our final hymn.